0: Hi, I'm Branson Stowell. And I'm Matt Sparks. And welcome to the Film Exchange, where two friends and film enthusiasts discuss the films that inspire them. Today's a
1: special episode. It's the second time we're doing this. It's our best of the year list episode. And I guess we'll go ahead and address the elephant in the room that we haven't been very present. And I know we promised that we be <laughs> season two by the fall. But we just want to make sure that when we release it, that it's right. We want to switch up the format and we've been working on some things. We have some episodes recorded Uh, we just want to make sure that it's in the right place and we're ready to have a rhythm by the time we start releasing. But best of list, we couldn't wait for that. No. And to be totally honest, I haven't seen a ton of movies this year. In fact, I've only seen 15 movies released in... 2023. Usually it's around December, January, February, where I really start to see the movies of the previous year and form an opinion because that's when most of the films are hitting the theaters for award contention and things like that. I listen to Pitchfork's podcasts on their best of lists for, for music and albums. And I like how they framed it. They said that when they're curating their end of the year list, they look at it more like curating an exhibit in the museum. So it's not necessarily the films that At least for me, I enjoyed the most, but it's more like the ones I think had the most impact on me and had the most impact this
0: year. Especially if you've been listening for a while, it gives you a little bit of a personal insight into kind of our taste.
1: So we just looked. Branson started the list last year, so I guess I'll kick it off this year. For my number five, it was a tough choice, but I ended up going with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, I just think it's brilliant and it's pushing animation forward and uh, really pushing the superhero genre forward. And especially this year, which was pretty stale as far as superhero movies go, DC and Marvel both had bad years. I think they have a lot to learn from from the Spider-Verse. I think kind of the reason I was a little yeah. bit hesitant is because uh, with the VFX workers voting to unionize, there are a lot of articles about them being overworked on this film and like pushed a- their breaking points. That's what it was kind of like knocking it down the list for me. But despite those things... I still think it's a, a great film and super fun and I will watch it again multiple times I'm sure.
0: Did you feel like it was significantly better than the first one?
1: I think maybe the first or one just... had a, maybe better writing for our lead but I feel like the second one is just as inventive if not more inventive. Yeah. So you're no, what's your number five?
0: Okay so my number five pick on the list is a film that technically was released uh, in 2022 although it didn't come out in in the States until 2023. It was an Italian movie called The Eight Mountains. It is so worth a watch. My gosh, I think you would love it. Uh, it's by Felix Van Groningen and Charlotte van der Meersch, Belgian duo. It's an incredible movie uh, about kind of finding yourself late in life. It takes place in the 80s in a small village in the Italian Alps. Uh, and it's all about this kid who's kind of grows up in this family where his father's a big mountaineer and he doesn't really want to be a mountaineer. And then, you know, kind of the friends, the kid in the village. And later on, it's about the developing relationship between those two childhood friends and how they kind of veer off and uh, understand nature, the world and destiny. Well worth checking out. What is your number four pick? Uh,
1: my number four is a film called <laughs> May, December, December, Directed by Todd Haynes. Uh, It's a film loosely based on the tabloid romance of Gracie Atherton in the 90s. A story where a much older woman falls in love with a 13-year-old. And it's about their life 20 years after that was in the news and stuff. Julianne Moore and Charles Melton. And Natalie Portman is an actress who goes to visit them in their small town in Georgia and to wow. learn about their life and how to emulate Julianne Moore. It's very much inspired by Ingmar Bergman persona. It really sticks with you, and I guarantee if you see it, you're going to want to talk yeah. about it with people because it's really thought-provoking. And of a film with Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, it's crazy because the standout performance, I think, really is Charles Melton from Riverdale, who does uh, an amazing job and I think's going to get a lot of... Well-deserved attention from it.
0: I've heard two responses to this film. One is people walk away deeply disturbed and wanting to see their therapist immediately. And the other is sort of this strange kind of enlightenment. Like, do you feel morally vexed when you left the movie?
1: I think that's what is great about it is because... You walk out of the theater and everyone thinks something different about it. There's a lot to dissect. Okay. And this relationship is so bizarre. So what is your number four?
0: My number four, it was uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I didn't walk away from it just loving it. I didn't think it was just incredible, but it's something that over time, I think I've come to appreciate just the scale of time and effort that he put into that film and to making it authentic, you know, and just getting to see a Robert De Niro kind of back in a role that I think he's taking very seriously, not just a paycheck role, which I think he's done a lot lately. <laughs> no. It was the epic film that I, I've been waiting for.
1: This is a $200 million budget which I just don't think you'll see for this kind of movie again for a long time. Like it's just, it's a rare event and it's worth seeing for that reason. And when they were initially developing it, the film was going to be focused on the FBI and, uh, and it was going to be called J Edgar and about the birth of the FBI. This was the FBI's first case and the focus switched more to the Osage. And I think that was the appropriate response to the moment. It's one of my favorites too. Maybe you'll see it on my list.
0: That's my number. Quattro. What is your number three? My
1: number three is Anatomy of a Fall directed by Justine Triot. This film has been getting a lot of buzz this year, but I think it's most definitely worth seeing. Sandra Huller is the lead. It's a crime drama, like a courtroom drama. Sandra Huller from Tony Airdman, who I love. And when you leave this movie, you just want more and more of her. It's like career best performance. And you're just glued to the screen on the edge of your seat for, again, three hours. But it's definitely worth seeing. And I highly recommend it. It does live up to the hype.
0: I imagined it when I was reading about Anatomy of a Fault as a little bit more of a murder mystery. But what I love about it is it is so much more about the marriage and the relationship in the film. And that becomes so much more interesting to dissect than any dead bodies that, you know, we come mm-hmm. across. What, what is your number three? My number three is another big buzzed about film. It is Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. Oh, I so want to see this. I think you're going to love it. My gosh. I think it is maybe the best performance I've seen out of Paul Giamatti. It takes place, I believe, in like the 70s, late 60s. You know, about a bunch of kids who are stuck at boarding school over the winter holidays. It's weirdly like a cozy, Christmassy film. It really has kind of the best of Alexander Payne that I've seen in a while. It's just a good vibe film that tells a really uh, important story. What is your number two film of the year? So
1: uh, we've already talked about it. My number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. I think I already mentioned a lot of the reasons I love it. I think it's a great film about colonialism, race relations. I think it's very relevant and captivating and a spectacle that you're not going to see again for a long time and Scorsese is also getting pretty old so I don't know how many more films he has left in him and I'm very glad he gave us this one so what's your number two
0: my number two is a little British film called a scrapper by a first-time director Charlotte Mm -hmm. Regan this was one of those that every once in a while I wander over to this little theater called the Opera Plaza Cinemas in San Francisco and see what they got planned an afternoon. They have great foreign films. And one of these was called Scrapper. It was an amazing kind of coming of age film about a very working, really almost lower class, poor British family. And about this little girl who had kind of been living on her own after her mother died, whose kind of absent father kind of comes back into her life and uh, it's it's this beautiful father-daughter story uh, encourages her to kind of you know make something of herself and I think it's it's heart-wrenching and sweet and touching and if you haven't seen it I think you'd like it this young woman Charlotte Reagan she's got a bright future ahead of herself and I thought it was just an incredible film and I would love to elevate it to as many people care to see it Before we get to our number one, I think we want to discuss a couple honorable mentions that should have made the list, just were right off, and I do think that there's a few on there. And then I think we both have a dishonorable mention that we'd like to throw out there, um, which Um, would be kind of fun to see.
1: Let's start with dishonorable mentions so we keep it positive toward the end. One film I was so excited to see, and a filmmaker who's made brilliant movies up until this point, and... Some argue this film is brilliant, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I think it's absolutely a waste of time and will leave you feeling depressed <laughs> and, like, you just got pooped on, is Bo is Afraid by Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. It's a big, epic piece of poo, and there's a lot of <laughs> amazing elements and amazing parts of it. Mm-hmm. Or you walk away feeling like you just saw a grown man throwing his poop at the wall and, oh, like, making man. you feel like shit on purpose. And I did, and he achieved what he wanted, and it was sufficingly dreadful. And maybe in that way, it is brilliant. And then I guess of the other ones, it's following a trend of disappointment. Elementals was pretty disappointing and just very average, and just it's sad kind of seeing the direction the Pixar's going. And then I'll say the third film that disappointed me, but it's unfair because I had astronomical expectations for it, was Past Lives. I don't know. It just really fell flat for me. And when I say that, a lot of people say, well, you don't have the immigrant experience. Maybe I don't, but I've seen a lot of movies and I've seen a lot of movies about love across time and distance. And I don't know, this one I think is so much about itself being a novel story that I, I feel like when you actually come down to the characters and plot there's just not a whole lot happening great opening scene the opening scene is amazing
0: uh, that's gonna be the most controversial one that you have but <laughs> yeah. to be fair i'm glad you said it what's your dishonorable list uh, number one probably the most disappointing for me was napoleon i oh, love yeah. i heard Ridley that. Scott, and i love joaquin the phoenix. story of napoleon and joaquin phoenix and the the first images, the cinematography that came out, the budget that they had, there was another big Apple investment. I thought this was going to be the Kubrick film we never got back in the day, you know, because Ridley Scott's the guy who still has the license to do amazing period pieces and the sets and the, mm-hmm. the production scale. And it just ended up being so few bits of that. I'm just frustrated with Ridley Scott. That was a big letdown. What's Uh, your second letdown? Who Second letdown is one film that just about everybody has told me to watch over the last week and I finally got to was Saltburn. I get that. And, you know, it's it's a bummer because I love Emerald Fennell and I thought Promising Promising, Young Woman was one of the best films. So I was like, what's her sophomore piece going to be? And it was that?
1: I think there's some sexy moments like... Barry Keoghan's ass looks great at the end when he's dancing around naked. <laughs> I did love Rosamund Pike in it, and it just makes me want more of her.
0: And My last disappointment, which is going to be a little hard for a lot of people to hear, probably my most controversial one, is The Boy and the Heron.
1: Oh, you saw it? Okay.
0: Yeah, I did. And you know, to be clear, it's it wasn't a huge letdown. I definitely still think it's worth people see. I think it's just one of those things like your last one where the, the bar is so high, you know? It felt like far weaker than a lot of his other films. So yeah. that was my number three. Interesting. Yeah. What are some honorable mentions that you have?
1: My film that almost made it to number five, but didn't is Wonka. Super fun, super lovely. I've never really been a huge Timothy Chalamet fan but I am now because I think this was his most demanding role because he's singing and dancing and entertaining children and he does an excellent job and this is Paul King who did the Paddington movies and I think they gave him more freedom with this which was really fun for some parts. I think where this one comes short is the story the plot i think is just a little bit too wonky no pun intended
0: and i want to see timothy chalamet do that again he shocked me with the. you're right with the singing dance i actually feel like it deserves some props for production design
1: i really enjoyed eileen with anne hathaway like super sexy movie in your face thriller one of the best performances and like a risk for her to do this kind of role Uh, i think you can't talk about this year without mentioning barbenheimer I did see Barbie and I enjoyed it, so I'm putting it on here. Uh, I like the use of practical effects and practical sets. And then lastly, I'd say Megan. I just loved the cultural moment that it was. And it's a fun movie, easy watch, a lot of fun, and not too violent. It's more fun than it is gory or violent. And I think I'm more excited to see what they do with the character next, because now that it's become such a thing, I think the next one's going to be even better, hopefully. But yeah, those are my honorable mentions.
0: My honorable mention list, I just have 3 films on there. First of all, I liked Barbie and Oppenheimer. Well, my real honorable mentions Iron Claw, really yeah, really it's good. Yeah. It's it's a psychological drama in a way that I think is super powerful and a testament on family while well we're checking out. Mm-hmm. Another honorable mention Number two is uh, Yorgos Lent, The Most Poor Things. Talk about just visual treat, super fun, well acted, incredibly awkward to see with your parents, which I did. And then the last film that I just want to throw out for the honorable mention is Asteroid City. It sort of went under the radar, a muted Wes Anderson film, but I actually think one of his best. Get Excited Kids, because I just recently in my research learned that it was... Groundbreaking, first PG 13 movie to feature full frontal nudity for a oh. one second shot of Scarlett Johansson in a mirror. All right, drum roll. Right. What is number your number one of the uh, year?
1: My number one is The Zone of Interest by Jonathan Glazer. It's a powerful film set against the backdrop of. The Holocaust of Auschwitz. It's about Rudolf Haas, the commandant of Auschwitz and his family who have an eerily normal life right next door. And, you know, it focuses on the banality of evil and his family's mundane experience, everyday life experience next door. And I recommend if you see it, Has to be in a theater with good sound because mine was not with good sound. This movie is Mm. all about the sound design because she'll just be picking her vegetables and you're hearing people being shot and tortured. You never see it happening, but it's always just, it's always present and always spooky. And you see the smoke from the gas chambers. It's really haunting. And I guess it makes sense because Glazer's only done horror films up until this point. And this is a horror film in a way. And there's this kind of really horror esque moment at the end that is so unexpected and so spooky. The feeling when you walk out of that theater is like totally moved in an uncomfortable way, but it's a movie you won't forget. And I think it's very relevant right now. I think it's something we should all contemplate. And yeah, that's my
0: number one. That's like my most anticipated film I have not yet seen. What's your number one? My number one film of the year is Christopher Borley's Dream Scenario. An A24 picture.
1: I haven't seen it. That looks really fun.
0: It is so fun. And it's also good. And it has very fascinating commentary on society, on fame, on kind of just relationships, you know, on how we think of other people. It was just still probably the best movie I've seen this year. It was one that grew on me as time goes on. Nicolas Cage gives a great performance. He's like the perfect everyman. And I think he really crafted the look of his character as this guy who everyone just starts dreaming about how we have an image of a person in our mind before we actually meet them. And I think it's a real good meditation on, on fame. It's funny. It was like one of the funniest movies I've seen all year. People were laughing out loud. I thought it was an absolutely beautiful film and it's one that I wish got more recognition. So dream scenario, check it out. Great.
1: I definitely will. I'd only seen two on your list, I think. Killers of the Flower Moon. And I think that's it actually. So I need to I need to catch up.
0: I'm excited to see zone of interest. That's like very high up on the list.
1: Thank you for tuning in. It was great to be back. And like we mentioned, we are taking suggestions and uh, looking for the listeners input on how to switch up the format and do new things. We wanna deliver what you wanna hear. So feel free to reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Film Exchange Pod, all one word, and we'll be back soon, I promise.